Don Cheese Don Cheese Welcome to the fifth episode of the Bounce Pass by the Sports Mecca. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo, and today I'm joined by my colleagues, Noah Burketto and Jerome Williams. Noah, I hope you're enjoying the Canadian cold because Jerome and I are enjoying the Kansas City cold. Right. Oh, very nice. Very nice. It was uh, minus 14 Celsius today, so it was a pretty cold day here. Uh, Stayed inside most of it. Uh, Still got cold feet, but it is what it is. That's Canadian yeah. weather. You just gotta tough it out. Yeah. You, you, you gotta tough it out, eh? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Jerome hitting him with the Canadian accent. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm from uh, Michigan originally, so I used to like Detroit, drive through the river, go to Windsor, go to Toronto. Uh, spent a lot. Oh, of heck yeah, man. That's just as cold as here. Exactly. So today's podcast, it's gonna be all NBA based tonight, and it's gonna be. The Boston Celtics, kind of, we're going to talk about their season. I mean, obviously, I have some opinions about them, but we'll kind of start to get each of your opinions. And then uh, moving on from Boston, we're going to talk about uh, Noah's Raptors. I know Noah constantly talks to me about Toronto. Them and Milwaukee, um, kind of how they've been able to assert themselves in the East. And then we'll talk a little bit about the Lakers' confusion. Uh Try to mix that in with LeBron, and then we'll end it with the battle for the final playoff spots in the East and the West. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. So we are going to start with the Celtics. Noah, you know I have shown my displeasure for the Celtics time and time again. It's been a roller coaster season. As you probably both know, um, Boston was predicted by many. To be the Eastern Conference runaways this year, making the Eastern Conference Finals, making all the way to Game 7, losing to the hands of LeBron James like every single Eastern Conference team has for the past eight years. And I think most Celtic fans thought that Kyrie Irving coming back, Gordon Hayward coming back, and the addition of, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, Al Horford, you know, that they would be in really good shape, but has not been the case for the Celtics right now. They're currently fifth in the East. They've had some chemistry issues, had some issues not just within the locker room, but issues about their focus. In my opinion, you know, they've greatly have underperformed. So um, I guess we'll start with Noah. Kind of just lay it, lay it on to both of us about how you feel Boston season has gone so far. Well, I think biggest problem just overall for the Celtics might actually be overall roster construction. They have a lot of guys who do the same thing at the same position and uh, playing uh, Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum uh, both at the four, it it just doesn't really work. Typically, uh, in a lot of small ball lineups, you've got multiple glue guys. For example, the Warriors, Andre does a lot of dirty work now for, for Golden State, and of course, uh, Draymond Green, the slug himself, and the Celtics, they, they, they have Marcus Smart, who's uh, obviously dominant defensively, just a velociraptor, and, and Al Horford, but they, they kind of lack from two through four. They, they're, they're really kind of missing that 
that glue guy element that, that I would say even t- Toronto has with Pascal Siakam, where he's just a freak constantly running the break. They, they, they don't do anything excellent. That's how I guess I would put it. They have a lot of guys who are just kind of stuck doing the same things on the floor, and it doesn't look great. It's kind of mucked up, and a lot of guys dribble into bad shots. But mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tough. You know, I feel like Boston, they have kind of what they, I guess what they're trying to get as a one-two punch with Kerry Irving and Al Horford. And I think that they've done a pretty good job establishing their first two options. But just like you said, any championship team, whether it's the Golden State Warriors for the past three, four years, the Miami Heat, when LeBron was there, when they had the big three, every single team that has won an NBA championship have an established system where each players know their role and players know that they're the primary option or they're the third or fourth option. And I think you did hit it on the head. Celtics really don't have their third or fourth option right now. They don't know if it's Jalen Brown. They don't know if it's Jason Tatum. Um, For the most part this year, Jason Tatum, Kyrie and Horford, and I think a little bit of Marcus Smart, have kind of performed to what the expectations have been. Um, the problem is the four, the fifth and sixth options like Jalen Brown uh, and Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, just they haven't really been able to fit. And it, it's unfortunate. So um, I'll, I'm probably going to get a little bit more into detail about Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier. But um, Jerome... I kind of want to hear your thoughts just about the Celtics' confusing start so far. Well, not start, really, just the entire season. Well, you know, I, I agree with both of you guys. Um, you know, the Celtics, their roster construction isn't the greatest. But I, I kind of look at it like this. I, I don't know if they've necessarily underperformed. I think that the East is just a lot better this year than it was. You know, you look at a team like Milwaukee, they're definitely better than anybody thought they would be. Um, Toronto has been transformed with uh, Kyrie, uh, Kawhi Leonard, so they're a lot better. Indiana loses Oladipo. They're actually outperforming what anybody could have expected them to do, losing a guy like that. Um, you've got the 76ers, who have perhaps the best starting five in the NBA. Um, then you've got the Celtics sitting at five. You've got Detroit, who's playing well. I, I just think that the East as a whole is better. Um, I guess if there's one thing I could point to with the Celtics underperforming is that if you look at what they did last year, they finished 28-13 on the road. And right now they're sitting at 500. So they're not playing well away from home, which could cause problems for them, obviously, in the playoffs. If they have to go in as a 5C or worse, that means they have to they have to beat somebody on their home floor at least twice, you know, or three times for them to advance. So... I just kind of look at it like that. The East is better. They're not playing as well on the road. Um, obviously, they've got a couple guys that aren't performing as well as they did last year. Um, Terry Rozier probably being the, the biggest culprit of that. And then Gordon Hayward, just he's not who they thought he was going to be. And, you know, he, he was injured. And, you know, he, that's not something that he can control. I think eventually Hayward will figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure if he's going to figure it out this year. Yeah. I do think, just like you mentioned, Jerome, that Gordon Hayward's kind of the elephant in the room 
for Boston, you know, I think if you watched the game they had against Golden State the other night, granted, Clay Thompson didn't play, and they were still left with four big, big stars, with obviously Curry, uh, Boogie Cousins, Draymond, and Kevin Durant were still playing, but Boston was able to really set the pace offensively and really dominate both sides of the ball because Gordon Hayward was aggressive and he was taking shots. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but he had 30 points in that game. And last night he had a game winner against Sacramento. So yeah. there's what, my, what I'm kind of trying to say is I really think that the success for Boston this year in the playoffs, I think hinges more so on Gordon Hayward because when he's aggressive and he's, I mean, he's, he's a 34, 35% career three point shooter. So Boston doesn't really need him to just catch fire from three. They need, they need him to be more of a, a distributor, a guy who can make plays. Um, he's very, when he, when he gets a, when he gets a good opportunity, he's in a very efficient mid range shooter um, the problem has been it's taken him so long to kind of get over that injury. I think a lot of it is just in his mind where it's mental. Sure. It, it's mental. Um, I would say for the first maybe three or four months, he wasn't cutting as hard as he was when he had an all-star season in Utah. Um, just some, that just that energy in his jump shot wasn't really there um, because they – Gordon's played 60 games so far this year, and Brad Stevens has only started him 17 games. You know, I think the the path that Brad Stevens wanted to do this year was to bring Gordon Hayward off the bench and kind of let him ease into a starting role by midseason. The problem is he hasn't been per- he hasn't been consistent off the bench, so. Because he hasn't been consistent off the bench, he hasn't been getting a lot of minutes. Um, but he has he has performed a little bit better. Because um, I'm just looking at the numbers right here. Just if you take for the first three months of the season, Hayward played 26 minutes a game. And he scored 10 points. Crowd nearly five rebounds. But his shooting numbers were so bad. He shot less than 40% from the field and only 31% from three. But the last two and a half months, so kind of at the start of January, he's played pretty much the same amount of minutes, 25 and a half. He's averaging 11.8 points per game, four rebounds. So a little bit of a a drop-off in rebounds and a little bit of an increase in point production. But he's shooting 50% from the field and 36.5% from three. So he's kind of getting a little bit more of his feet going, kind of getting more consistency. But the problem is Boston is not going to be beating Milwaukee and they're not going to be beating Toronto if Hayward's only giving them, you know, 10 or 12 points a game. And um, kind of... They're not beating Philadelphia like that. No, no, they're not. And (laughs) just what the point... And kind of what the point Jerome said is... Boston's putting themselves in a really tough spot if they're a five seed because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like they match up well with Philadelphia. They've proven to beat them. I think they're ten and two against Philly. Um, if you combine this season with 
the playoffs. So, but granted, they've only the Celtics have only played Philly once since the Sixers acquired Tobias Harris. Um, but Celtics were also a bad, bad road team in the playoffs last year. But they were fortunate enough to be a two seed, so they could win at home, and they had home court in every single playoff series. But they're and they're not going to have that type of break this year. But kind of the point that I was going to make about Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier and Noah can probably agree about this because I know, um, he, I know Noah is kind of fascinated with just Brad Stevens and the way he kind of mixes and matches his lineup. But, you know, I told Noah this earlier in the season. Um, I think I might've brought it up about this topic when we did the first or second podcast in December but I think a, a a big reason why kind of Boston is kind of where they're at right now is I think Stevens has done a poor job managing minutes. And I think he's done a poor job of handling the roster he has, which sounds funny because I think for the first, I would say actually not for, I would say every single season leading up to this year, I think Brad Stevens has done a fabulous job getting the most out of every single player he's had. Whether it be Isaiah Thomas in his five foot nine frame and, you know, and he, he turned him into a 29 points per game scorer and had just a prolific offensive season before he got injured with the hip. Uh, he turned Jay Crowder into a more than productive player. He turned Evan Turner into actually a good two-way player for a, for a couple years. He turned Kelly Olynyk. I mean, he, he's been able to kind of do a really good job with making the most out of his roster, but I think this season, he's since he has probably the most talented team in his Celtics coaching career, I think he's kind of had problems mixing and matching. So the Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier splits is fascinating to me so they brought Marcus Morris into the starting lineup I believe in end of November they brought that was when they brought Marcus Smart in in the starting lineup and Marcus Smart's been good just like uh, Noah said what do you call him a pterodactyl velociraptor velociraptor Velociraptor. so and Marcus Smart's been great I feel like he is been playing maybe as well as Boston could hope for him. He's shooting really, I mean, he's shooting 36, 35% from three, which isn't insane. But for a player like Marcus Smart, who is a 29% three-point shooter, that's great. And he's played all-world defense. But for, for Marcus Morris, they inserted him in the starting lineup in the end of November. And for the first, really, for the first 43 games of the season, Stevens, his decision worked. You know, he was averaging well over 15 points per game, and his shooting numbers were really good. I mean, he was was shooting 48% from the field, 43% from three. Uh, He had a true shooting percentage of 62%, and he was a plus four. And he was actually, I believe, nearing the the rare 50-40-90 Mark, where you know you shoot fifty percent from the field, forty percent from three, and ninety percent from the free throw line, and you know 
when Stevens made that move, I was like, man, he really has done a good job getting the most out of Marcus Morris. Um, but the reason why I bring up the minutes part is I think he has failed to realize that you can't kind of you keep going with what I guess has got you there. So Marcus Morris has last 19 games. So if you take January 22nd to March 8th today, he's still averaging about 12, 13 points per game, but his field goal percentage has dropped seven points. His three-point percentage has dropped 15 points, shooting 28% for three, and he's shooting only, uh, well, his true shooting percentage is 50.6, and he has a plus-minus of negative two. Um, Mark, that's not good. Those aren't good shooting numbers. Those aren't good offensive numbers, but Marcus Morris is still in the starting lineup. Um, and then obviously Tara Rogier has been an influx. So Noah, kind of just give me your take on, cause I saw that you, I heard that you were kind of agreeing with me about Brad Stevens roster and kind of minutes management. Yeah. Just, uh, just going to touch back on Hayward here. Um, the Celtics are eleven and five when he has uh, when he has five or more assists, um, and 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 he's he's only played thirty plus minutes in nine games, but six of those games he's had five assists. So uh, I definitely think that Marcus Morris, who's been absolutely stinking it up to high heaven lately, um, definitely got to put Hayward in the starting lineup and give him some more minutes give him some more runs so he can get more comfortable and stay comfortable because he's had games where he's broken out and looked great, looked like the same old Gordon Hayward as before, but now he's uh, he's obviously having trouble staying in a rhythm and it's definitely mental, um, but like, uh, like Jerome touched on. I also think Kyrie Irving has been a major distraction uh, definitely as well. Not all on Stevens or any one player in particular, but uh, Irving's had a loud mouth this year, and he's been very unfair to a lot of his young teammates. Um, he's been openly critical and just kind of challenging them in all the wrong ways. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, and it's tough for Stevens when you've got all this talent in the room and all this hype. Mm-hmm. Especially after you really outperformed expectations last year, so um, absolutely, it, it, it's it's a little unfair, I think, to pin it on any one player. And Jerome, you're totally right. The East is dramatically better. It's it's got it's it's arguably got less to do with the Celtics than than, than we think. It's it's really just about the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jerome, uh, did, did you want did you want to touch on anything else or? Yeah, well, I mean, I. I I mean, I, I think that the uh, I, I think the East is just better. I mean, I, I look at the Celtics numbers again. I, I can point to the the record on the road. You know, we talked about Marcus Morris. He's been a slightly below league average player for a couple of years now. Uh, Rozier was at a fifteen point two PER last year. He's at a thirteen point something this year, so he hasn't played as well. You know, Brad Stevens, one of the toughest jobs I feel like in coaching pros is trying to get to that group of eight guys that you play consistently. Uh, you know, everybody wants to play. Everybody thinks they're an all-star. You know, it's tough to manage these these personalities and, and what these guys want. You've got millions of dollars on the line. 
But Stevens was playing eight guys, seven guys, sorry, an average of 23-plus minutes last year. He's playing eight guys, 23-plus minutes this year. So he's been in and out. I feel like the best that he can do. It's just, again, been a challenge, I feel like, you know, re-implement Gordon Hayward in this lineup mm-hmm. and trying to rebuild that culture and getting people to buy into the fact that, you know, he's not going to be the same guy that he was in Utah two years ago right now. You know, he may turn into that next year. Um, I read a good article on ESPN a few, few days ago where, you know, he was talking about that, where he's struggling mentally and he reached out to Paul George. Um, Paul George told him it took him two years before he felt normal, right? Not like his body, just his mind, where he felt like he was the same guy that he was before he had his catastrophic injury. Um, and I, I kind of want to touch on, you know, Greg Monroe. You know, the Celtics had Greg Monroe last year. You know, Greg Monroe's not a great player, but if you look at Greg Monroe was getting 19.9 minutes a game in 26 games with the Celtics, and he had a PR of 23, right? So... Now you're taking a guy that's like highly efficient, highly effective in limited minutes, and then divvying out those 19 minutes to guys like Marcus Morris, who's league average, uh, guys like Rozier forming as well, and then guys like Hayward, who just aren't all the way back yet. And that's been probably the biggest factor, in my opinion, uh, there. Um, and then, you know, no one touched on Kyrie Irving. You know, I love Irving as a player. Um, don't know him as a person, obviously, but, you know, he's borderlining on, you know, he's got one foot out the door already, and I don't feel like he's helping these guys from a culture standpoint. I mean, he's got to step up and be a leader and try to bring this group together, you know, because the Celtics can still make a run as long as they all get on the same page. And, you know, I feel like Gordon Hayward eventually will be fine. Uh, You know, he's playing 25 minutes a game this year, which is five minutes less than his career average. Um, you know, scoring's down, three-point shooting is down, but everything else is basically in line with his career average. So, and he's playing less minutes. So if he was playing more, he'd probably have a couple more rebounds, a couple more steals, whatever. I think he'd be, I think he'd be good to go. Um, I just think, you know, it goes back again to, you know, the East is, the East is better. Um, the Celtics have struggled with being the team to beat. Whereas last year, they were able to yeah. sneak up on you. You didn't yeah. have Hayward. Mm-hmm. You didn't have mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, they show up, and they're playing basically with house money. Mm-hmm. Whereas coming into this year, they're expected to make a title run. Right. And they just they really struggle with that part of it, the mental part of it, the entire yeah. team. Yeah. So we're going to actually transition into the East, talk about the East field. But um, I will say, though, the Jerome's last thought about the Celtics playing with house money. Boston, for the first couple years of the Brad Stevens era, was kind of known as this scrappy, grit and grind Celtics team that was kind of wanting to um, prove teams wrong because they were kind of viewed as the underdog. So transitioning into the East, the entire field, not just the Celtics, Milwaukee and Toronto have really sprinted out to the top two seeds in the Eastern Conference this year. They were really, really good for the first couple months, and they've backed that up by making a lot of good, savvy moves at the trade deadline. Um, Obviously, both of us know that all of us know that Toronto got rid of DeMar DeRozan. They acquired Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard 
They added Marcus at the trade deadline. They shipped out Jonas Valanciunas. Um, Delon Wright's not there. Really have reshaped their entire team. I don't really think it's the same Raptors of the past couple years. It's a completely different team. Nick Nurse has done a really good job with just the continuity. Dwayne Casey's not there anymore, which I think Dwayne Casey did a pretty good job. The diff- I think what just brought Toronto kind of down a little bit was that I think they just didn't have that star. I think they have that star now in Kawhi Leonard. But, you know, Toronto, if you look at Lowry, Leonard, their productions have been has been great. But I really do think that the piece that probably makes Toronto really, really special this year is Noah's boy, Pascal Siakam. Siakam really has elevated his game this year. You know, he was it's it's I believe his third year in the league. His first two years, he kind of got his feet wet, averaged six and seven points per game. But this year he's really taken up a notch, averaging sixteen and seven, shooting fifty-five percent from the field, thirty-six percent from the three-point line, and seventy percent from the free throw line. But it's also it's not just the counting stats that have been really good. He's been a dog defender. He's been he's been really good. And right now Toronto is sixth in offensive rating, seventh in defensive rating, and third in net rating in the NBA. With Siakam playing well, and then also Serge Ibaka making a resurgence, Toronto really, really looks good. Um, before we kind of transition into Milwaukee, Noah, just kind of tell me a little bit about Toronto. I know you've you're obviously a big Raptors fan, but kind of tell me what has been their success this year. Really, uh, I, I think their success has just been they've 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 ran and they've bullied opponents offensively. They're 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 a, they're an incredibly physical team. Um, they're with, with Kawhi can really just strong arm his way to twenty five a night, and that's. What he's done, um, you you had said you felt that uh, Nick Nurse has done a great job, but um, to to be to be blunt, uh, I I think that he could be doing a lot better. Um, I I think he could definitely get a little more creative now that he has Marcus Soul. Uh, I, I I think that they could definitely do a lot more in the pick and roll with their personnel, and I think that uh, having Gasol is just like. The perfect weapon for that. Uh, you can you can pick and pop, shoot at the elbow. Uh, he led the NBA in assists last three years from the elbow, and that's that's another dimension that uh, they've they've been able to add to their offense. Another thing that I want to touch on with the Raptors is they they have a an incredibly easy schedule uh, on the way out. Of their 17 games left, uh, 13 are against opponents below 500. And uh, only four are against uh, opponents above 500, and two of those are Detroit and the Nets, who are each one game above 500. Their schedule is a cakewalk, and 60 wins is not out of reach. But yeah, uh, it's it's really up to how well uh, Nick Nurse can uh, really merge Marcus and manage uh, Ibaka's hot streaks um, and, and really just incorporate everything together because their, their personnel is a little a little, a little weird now 
Um, you don't really want to use Ibaka at the four anymore. Uh, so you can't really play Ibaka and Gasol together. But uh, either way, uh, they had to make that deal for Gasol. Um, it could ultimately come down to them and Milwaukee, and you need to have a rim protector on the floor at all times against Giannis. So ultimately, I think that this year is totally in Toronto's hands. Uh, they control their own destiny more so than any other team, really, in the NBA right now. So just uh, that's the, that's my Raptors scoop. Yeah, I, I'll follow up with you with you know with the Raptors. I've only seen them a couple times this year on TV, and but, but they look awesome. And one of the uh, the teams that are really good in the NBA that are really successful are able to control pace of play and actually like do things differently. If you have to go small, you have to go big. And you know, the Raptors, you know, once the Saul is fully implemented with that lineup, they're going to be able to do that. I mean, if you look at their numbers compared to last year, it's tough. You know, scoring in the NBA is up. So defensive efficiency is not going to look that great. But Toronto has the ability to really lock you down defensively, um, which is good. We talked about Pascal. I always go back to the player efficiency rating. John Hollinger's uh, stat that he uses to kind of you know measure the effectiveness of an NBA player as an individual for the course of the game. And you know Pascal went from a 14.5 to an 18.6. So he's a borderline All Star. Um, and the other thing is Kyle Lowry, who who is a is an All Star caliber player. Um, he could have totally shut down on this team and made it about him when you bring in a top-five talent like Kawhi Leonard and really gone the other way. And all he's done is gone from six-and-a-half assists a game to nine, which is which is huge. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Mm-hmm. You know, being that guy that kind of shares the ball, it gets people to where they want to go. And, you know, he's going to take a step back score-wise to make sure that the offense is more efficient. So I think Toronto's loaded, you know, I mentioned being able to go different different lineups and, and play small, play big. I think that's where Milwaukee comes in as well. I mean, they're obviously a lot better this year than what people thought they were going to be. Giannis is playing at a super high level. Um, Chris Middleton was an all-star. Bradman's playing a lot better than he's ever played. But they've also got Brooke Lopez, who, who adds a different element to that team. All of a sudden, you've got a over seven foot guy that can really back you down and score, slow the game down, or put him in a pick and roll and hit a three. Uh, they sent Don Maker out to Detroit, and Don Maker was a talented guy, but they had another guy sitting behind the wings and DJ Wilson. And then you had a guy like Miritich, and the sky's the limit for those two teams. They uh, uh, wasn't DJ Wilson a Michigan product? He was a Michigan guy. Yes. There we go. And then uh, yes. Noah's boy, Don Maker. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so he is. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's tough with Maker. His uh his high school mixtapes made him look like he was going to be the next KD, and yeah, uh, it didn't work out the way uh or hasn't worked out, I should say, um the way we have all expected. Haven't he? He kind of got overdrafted at ten, so definitely. He's kind of lucky admitting their mistake, but. Yeah, he's a he's a wild card for sure. Yeah, Don Maker, and uh, you know, apparently there's been some questions about his age. So, <laughs> uh, you know, 
else? Is the guy 22 or is he 29? Who knows, you know? So he definitely needed a change of scenery. But, you know, Milwaukee had enough pieces. They, they, they could ship a guy like that out. And, you know, sometimes it's addition by subtraction kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, for, for sure there. Um, just touching back on Milwaukee, uh, Boston has, uh, for, for one out of ten, terms of different personnel um boston is a two or a three in terms of having uh guys that do the same thing milwaukee would be a nine (laughs) they have they they can use Giannis at the at at the five spot and use him to protect the rim and even on offense really just stand under the rim um because his his length is impossible to guard it's the same thing as a big man um uh, and, and then to have a shot blocker like Brooke Lopez on the floor uh, for for the other 25, 30 minutes that or however much you use him, uh, that's going to result in an elite defense. Uh, to add uh, Miritich is, and and his shooting is really going to push them over the top. I think uh, there's there's no way they, that a team could reasonably think. They can guard Miritich and Lopez and Giannis. Like they just have so much size and so much shooting ability that mm-hmm. they're really just they're, they're riding off the back of a great coach too. Like Budenholzer is one of, if not the best coach uh, in the NBA this year. Uh, the way that he's gotten the most out of Giannis. Uh, maybe gonna get him the MVP award this year. So hopefully it's a Milwaukee Toronto uh, conference final. I think those are probably the two best teams at this point. But Philly is obviously a wild card, and well, we talked about the Celtics, but it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be one heck of a ride down the stretch for sure. Right. Oh yeah, you talk about Giannis, and you know they run him at the point too, and he'll he'll he'll, he'll pass the ball to the wing and. Set like an elevator screen for Lopez, and they're gonna flash to a low block or you know wing extended free throw line extended catch the ball, and it's basically now you're one on one with a six eleven guy that can do everything, and if you if you pinch down, he's kicking it to one of these bigs who are like knockdown three point shooters. So it just and then at the point in posting, he's in great rebounding position, and he's finishing like sixty eight percent. 70% uh, three feet away from the rim. So if he gets an offensive oh. rebound, he's scoring, period. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee looks really good. Uh, yeah, you guys made some good points. I mean, I think Milwaukee is the only team, because I brought up about Toronto's rank in, all, in the three different ratings in the NBA, like the, the, the net rating, offensive rating, defensive rating, Milwaukee's the only team in the NBA that's top five in all three of them. And, I mean, you have Giannis, just like both of you guys have said, that's putting up insane numbers, 27, 12, six assists. But I do think two factors that have gone under the radar is Malcolm Brogdon is, in my opinion, probably the most boring, effective, efficient player. Like, the dude (laughs) is like, he's shooting 43% from three. I think he's... I think he just eclipsed the 100, uh, 100 
mark in terms of three pointers made this year. Um, but you know, I you know coming from my Celtic background, and when Eric Bledsoe or Drew Bledsoe played Boston in the playoffs last year, you know, I kind of was like, all right, I was kind of disappointed how Terry Rozier kind of outplayed him, and I dished him a lot in the playoffs, and I kind of didn't give him a lot of credit early on in the season. But I think Eric Bledsoe, you know, his his offensive numbers are really kind of the same. But I think a big improvement for Bledsoe this year is he's not turning the ball over as much, and he's being a lot more cautious with the ball. He's making better decisions. Uh, I think he has five and a half assists per game, which I believe is probably the second best mark in his career. So I think the the two factors that are going to go on that have gone unnoticed are Bledsoe and Brogdon because Giannis has kind of gotten the lion's share of credit. Chris Middleton has gotten the lion's share of credit, you know. All-star. All-star. Yep. It feels like Chris Middleton, every time he plays Boston, he goes like 8 of 10 from 3. I'm, I'm still upset that Detroit traded him, by the way. Oh. A bag of peanuts, you know. But, oh well. Right. Um, but before we kind of transition into talk about the Lakers and LeBron, I'll ask you guys this, and this is something that I don't think it's going to happen, but it's worth talking about. Do you guys think that Milwaukee, especially, is just one of those regular, great regular season teams? Like, do you I, do you see them so. faltering in the semis? I think they're going to make a real a real run here. I mean, you know, you you mentioned it with you know, obviously the Greek Freak and Middleton. But you've got, again, Lopez, you've got Brogdon is playing insane right now. You know, they, they've convinced him to basically just do your job, which is, you know, hard to tell a pro. Uh, but Brogdon goes out there and does his job. Bledsoe does his job. I, I feel like they're built for the uh, for the long run. And, you know, when you watch him play, those guys like each other. Uh, team chemistry isn't necessarily, some, some, necessarily something you can measure with a statistic. But just the eye test, those guys like playing together, they're having fun, and I think that goes a long way. Um, when you're when you're all of a sudden backed up against the wall and you've got to fight out of something, you know, if you like people, you're, you're, you're tending, you're, you're more likely to, to fight for them. And I, I feel like Milwaukee's got a good thing going, and they're going to be tough to beat. It's, it's funny you say that, uh, that all, all the guys get along, because Chris Middleton recently came out with a quote that, you know, we're, we're really lucky because we don't have any assholes on this team. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a good point. Uh, you think about Giannis and his humble beginnings. When he came into the league, he was all of, what, 175 pounds? And yeah. Now he's the Greek freak. Yeah. So I, I, you know, like, just... Just to kind of put a blanket statement on it, uh, the Bucks are by far the most cohesive unit in the NBA this year. Uh, they 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 have a- exceptional chemistry, and uh, it's actually to the point that um, adding Miritich doesn't really require an adjustment period like it will for Toronto with Marcus Sewell. So. It's uh, it's 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 going to be interesting for sure. I think Milwaukee will be able to take whomever the four seed or five seed is. I think they'll be able to take them in probably five games, maybe six. Yeah. Um. But but that Toronto Milwaukee Toronto, I I think that's uh, I think they 
one and two, they're they're that's the better's favorite for the finals or for the conference finals, I should say. So it'll be uh yeah, there's there's no real way to know, I guess. We just gotta find out. <laughs> find out, yeah. No, you know, I've kind of uh waiting for the uh the chance for the uh Raptors Bucks conference finals to uh not happen, but I can't I can't disagree. Raptors and Bucks have been the best team in the East and I can't I can't argue with that. But oh, it's uh, tough. It's tough. Like I, no uh, no one knows about the meme. No, you know that meme with like the the uh the smiley face and the person's like angry behind the mask? Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much me when I watch uh the Bucks and Raptors from a Celtics perspective. But uh, yeah, but they have really, really played well. Um, but kind of transitioning to the last two topics, just like I mentioned, we got the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron. Um, we're kind of, we're going to go through what has happened with those guys, man, Lakers just, they've lost again yesterday to the Denver Nuggets, dropping their record 30-35. and 35. Currently tied for 10th with Minnesota in the West. They're six and a half games back from the 8th seed Los Angeles Clippers. We might be seeing history, folks. LeBron James will not only be not participate in the finals this year, but there's a really good chance. And when I mean really, I mean like a 98% chance 99% chance that he won't even make the playoffs. If, if anybody deserves a break, it's LeBron James. You know, that guy's played a lot of basketball over the last few years, so he deserves a break. Uh, he's not going to say it, obviously, but the, the Lakers are done. Uh, they just... Too young. LeBron bit off more than he could chew. Uh, Lonzo Ball has proved his worth defensively. I mean, they went from you know, 10th or 12th best team defensively based off a defensive rating all the way down to 28. They just can't guard. And that's probably been their biggest problem. I mean, I know that all the trade deadline hoopla and, you know, not getting Anthony Davis and all that. I mean, they, they made a trade. They got Reggie Bullock, who's a well above average three-point shooter. But at the end of the day, that was never really their problem. Their problem was defense. And they, they didn't address that. And unfortunately for LeBron, you know, he's he's not as good of a defensive player as he was even two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a bunch of young guys and he's got to nurture and, and they're just they're just not ready. And and I, I saw something today that they're actually gonna limit LeBron's minutes and only play him twenty eight to thirty two minutes a game the rest of the way. Right. Which I'm I, I mean, are the Lakers giving up? Is that what they're doing? Well, I think instead of LeBron entering playoff mode, he's entered layoff mode. <laughs>
So he's become a legitimate threat as a ball handler and a playmaker. Um, he's really kind of dispelled that Tatum is better than me narrative. Uh, he's just been able to really be a reliable second option behind LeBron. And uh, just despite their losing ways and completely being unable to guard, like, like you guys have touched on there, um, they are desperately missing Lonzo Ball right now. Um, he is as much of a glue guy as they probably will ever have with LeBron oh, yeah. in L.A. So mm-hmm. uh, just to have a guy like Lonzo where you can guard four positions at point guard, um, it's, it, it, and, you, and you lose him like that, uh, he, he can't be relying on Rondo the same way that the – 08 Celtics could rely on Rondo. He's not the same player anymore. So the Lakers are a bit of a shit show for sure. They don't have it together. uh, And they're missing Ivica Zubat a lot. Yes. They're missing just an interior presence, a a dependable uh, tertiary threat on offense as well. So it's, it's too much for LeBron. He, it, I, I saw uh, a picture today of uh, LeBron. Uh, it, it was from, well, Saving, Saving Private Ryan with uh, Tom Hanks. And it was that last minute scene where uh, he's got the, he's just holding a pistol and, and a tank is facing him. Yeah. It, was, it was LeBron's uh, playoff mode activated on, on the pistol. Yeah. And uh, the tank being the Western Conference. Yes. Totally powerless because the teams above him aren't losing. No. <laughs> the, the, the Spurs are on fire. Uh, they're 17-5 and five, uh, when Derek White plays uh, in, the, in the new year. He's, he's been really just like an, an unbelievable find for that, for that team. And uh, the Clippers, despite trading Tobias Harris, are still holding down that eighth spot. So, like... It's it's also about more to do with the fact that other teams are just better than them. So, yeah. For sure, yeah. Do you? I, 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 oh, oh, yeah, Jerome, you, you know you can go. Oh, I was gonna just say I, I was talking. You mentioned missing, and uh, I, I was talking to a guy a couple days ago, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but he said the other thing is that you know Ingram Ingram has played phenomenal lately. But he, he asked me, he said, do you think that the Lakers got rid of Julius Randle too soon? Well, and I said, uh, <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Well, you know, you made up a good point because um, I don't think Noah, Noah wasn't a part of this one, but we did a podcast, I believe, I think the fourth episode, we brought in Robert, who actually lives in California, and he's a big Lakers fan, and he said that Trading, sorry, letting Randall go and not making the effort to re-sign him last offseason has backfired a little bit. And instead of letting him just walk to New Orleans, you know, he made a good point of how Los Angeles probably should have made a really good effort to maybe sign him for two or three more years to really provide some solid post production just like Noah said how 
the loss of Zubak is hurt a lot. Yeah. And I think I do think Julius Randle, his absence is hurt, but I'm just to me, you know, I I I told Noah this. I looked at the roster and I do feel like this roster is probably better than thirty and thirty five. But because the Lakers have definitely some decisions to make, you know, do they want to be more patient in the next couple years and ride with what they have with Brendan Ingram, with Kyle Kuzma, with Lonzo Ball, with um, JaVale McGee? Well, no, JaVale McGee's not going to be part of the future. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, do they kind of go with that or do they just – Try to get a free agent because I don't think they're they're gonna get Anthony Davis. I think that they're probably better off getting maybe Clay Thompson or Kimball Walker. But because I feel like at this point in LeBron's career, since he's 34 now, and the, in my opinion, I think the clock is ticking on him. He only has I mean, he has three more years left in LA. I feel like LeBron is at his best when he has stars around him and it still might be a couple years away before Brendan Ingram becomes that elite type of a player. But, you know, I think another thing that is probably, we, we haven't talked about it, but I think it's a big issue with LA is Luke Walton. What do the Lakers do with him? I heard that there were rumors that they were just going to fire him at the end of the season. Um, I do think moving on from Luke Walton would be a good option. Um, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on just the situation that they have with the roster and then Luke Walton before we kind of wrap up to the the playoff seating. Yeah, I think Luke Walton, I mean, he's, he's in a tough position. I mean, he got the job and they were so devoid of talent that it was hard to see if he could actually coach this group. And then you get a guy like LeBron, and you're expected to be a lot better than what you are, and they're just not there yet. And, you know, they dealt with some injuries, you know, missing Lonzo Ball again. He's kind of that glue guy you guys were talking about. He's the the Swiss Army knife, so to speak. Um, you know, they just don't have a guy on their roster right now to to replace him. And in today's NBA, you have to have good guards and you know, a lot of Lakers guys are small forward, power forward type guys. I mean, they don't have a really good point guard or, or a guy that just defends the heck out of the wing like that, like Lonzo Ball did. And so you lose a guy like that. Uh, you know, you, you take him off of a team like Milwaukee or Toronto or Golden State, they're fine. But if you take him off of a team like the Lakers, who don't have a lot of guys that do that, then you've got a real problem. And so... Luke Walton's probably going to get blamed for it. Somebody has to. And I guess if I was a Lakers fan, I guess I'd be thinking, you know, be, be careful what you wish for. And, you know, hopefully if they get rid of Luke Walton, you can get somebody in there who's better and get this group to gel. You get another another all-star caliber player, and you know, you're right back to being being competitive again. The Lakers just got yeah, a player, Ty Lue. for sure. Get Kyrie. No, no, I said Ty Lue. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, they really just need, like, an injection of life somehow. Um, LeBron is, he, obviously everybody knows he likes to take 
full reign of what happens on the court. Um, he's very ball dominant. Nothing wrong with that, of course. Best player in the world, in my opinion. Um, but uh, th- there comes a certain point where he's also their Achilles heel. Um, you you see the clips of him and his low effort defense and Kyle Kuzma literally pushing him to play yeah. defense. That was awesome. And, yeah, yeah, it was. Like you, you, you got to love the heart from Kuzma there because you can't. You're not going to be able to break LeBron's thick skull or, or no. get, get into his head, kind of thing. So uh, it, you got to you got to send a message somehow. And uh, really, uh, the the Lakers' young core have they they probably need a, a, a different style of leadership given given the circumstances now, and that he pretty well tried to trade not him but he <laughs> helped orchestrate a deal in which um anthony davis could come over for the entire supporting cast that's there now yeah so lebron it's, it's, is uh, the coach situation lebron is the coach lebron is the gm lebron is the owner <laughs> LeBron needs to make sure he doesn't turn into like Isaiah Thomas, you know, if he's going to coach a team. A great player, Hall of Fame guy, but when it comes to management decisions, uh, maybe you should take a step back, you know. That's a good, that's a, that's a really good analogy, I think. Um, uh, Isaiah really kind of screwed, screwed around with a couple teams. Yeah. Uh, Pacers, Knicks. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Knicks, uh, even, even the Raptors a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So. Way back when. So. Before Noah and I's time. Yes. <laughs> back when the NBA was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, last topic, folks. We kind of get the nitty-gritty here. The last stretch here, the home stretch. We get to the nitty-gritty of the of kind of the playoff picture. Not at the top, but more so at the bottom. You kind of look at the Eastern Conference and Western Conference standings. They're very different. The East, if you look at it, there's really about five teams fighting for the last three spots, and it's very, very messy. There's not a lot of games separating the five teams, and those five teams that I'm just about to mention are the Brooklyn Nets, Jerome's Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Miami Heat. And then you kind of look at the West, where it's much more cleaner you got the Utah Jazz in sixth place, the San Antonio Spurs in seventh, and the Los Angeles Clippers in eighth. And then there's quite a bit of a drop-off with, with the Sacramento Kings four games back. And then obviously the Lakers, they're pretty much out of the playoff picture, but they're kind of on life support right now. I'm kind of trying to get into here is kind of weed out the Eastern Conference to kind of get your feel about who the last three teams are going to be. Uh, representing the East, so from the 6th and 8th spot. Um, if you guys don't know, Detroit is actually tied, I believe, with Brooklyn for 6th. Detroit is 32-31. and 31. Brooklyn is 34-33. and 33. Um, If you look at those teams, I think Brooklyn has really done a great job with their roster. They've exceeded expectations. I think they've done a, I mean, D'Angelo Russell. Ex-Laker. <laughs> yep, another ex-Laker. They shipped him out. Dude, we know the theme here. Spencer Dinwiddie's been very good off the bench. Jared Allen's been good. They've been just – Brooklyn's done a really good job with what they have. And Detroit, 
you know, obviously Jerome knows a lot about it because he's a big Pistons fan. Great production out of Blake Griffin this year. Um, oh, yeah. They now have really the goat on the team, and that is Svi Mikhailuk. That's a joke. Uh, <laughs> but Detroit's kind of, you know, they're hanging in there. Detroit was about a hot minute. Uh, they were the third or fourth best team in the East, but they, they've kind of dropped off. And then Miami, eighth spot. Orlando, you know, I, I, I keep telling Noah that, you know, I'm an internal Orlando Magic fan because – I love what Orlando has done with their roster. They've done a great job developing. Uh, I mean, Vucevic has taken his game to another level. Terrence Ross has been a, has been a really big part of that. And they're still and they're doing this with just not great, in my opinion, not a great rookie season from Muhammad Bamba. I and mean, I think he probably could have a better season. But they've done a really good job with what they have. Um, Miami Heat is they're kind of second purgatory. Um, and then obviously the Charlotte Hornets. Are what they are. They have pretty much Kemba Walker. Uh, I know Noah talked about how boy MKG is flourishing. Jonathan Isaac, you mean? Oh yeah, Jonathan Isaac, MKG, and Jonathan Isaac. But um, they're sitting same playing style. Yeah, <laughs> they're kind of sitting at the ninth spot trying to get in. So, kind of what I kind of addressed a couple of minutes ago, guys. How do you think the last three playoff spots in these are going to shake up? Like who's gonna get the sixth spot? Who's gonna get the seventh spot? And who's gonna get the eighth? I think, I think the six and seven will probably stay the same. Detroit, like Toronto, has a relatively uh, easy schedule to close out, uh, and the Nets have kind of tailed off lately. But for the eighth seed, um, uh, I ultimately think it's uh, it's it's going to be the Magic. Uh, they've kind of they've really put themselves together over the last six weeks or so. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is like Giannis on defense. He is exceptional. Probably over the last, really in the new year, he's been uh, one of the best rim protectors and one of the best man defenders. He's just got such a unique inside out defensive repertoire with that length and how, and that those quick feet and active hands. Uh, there was a while where he was averaging like 2.9 blocks and 1.5 steals in 25 minutes over a month. And, uh, that, that, that kind of defensive efficiency and activity, um, it's it's really uh, enabled uh, Steve Clifford to get creative with their lineups, and they don't get or, or I, I shouldn't say they, but uh, Nikola Vucevic doesn't necessarily get exposed on defense anymore with uh, Isaac in the lineup. So uh, they're they're a really interesting team, especially given their um, their less than adequate point guard situation. Um, they're having tryouts. DJ, DJ Augustine is. Probably not even an NBA starter, <laughs> but but he's he's genuinely been quite good offensively. So uh, just just off the ball, uh, catch and shoot kind of guy, make the extra pass, kind of kind of like a Fred Van Vliet type. Your and, boy, uh, that yeah, Freddie Freddie, that's my boy. That's a that's a, the Drake lookalike. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's the uh, I think it's. Totally, uh, totally the magic in the eight seed. I, I don't, I don't see it with Miami. Not this year. They, they just settled on a rotation. Yeah. 
I, I, and I, I would tend to agree with you on that for sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, if Kimba Walker could go on a ridiculous run, you know, they, they may be able to sneak in there. But, you know, we talked about schedules. Uh, Orlando's got a very light schedule the rest of the way. They play Miami twice. So they could really, really make a move there. Um, Detroit's schedule is not too tough. I mean, we talk about schedules, you know. Boston actually only has seven games left against plus 500 teams. So if I were Boston, I was trying to try to save my season. I'd be trying to maybe get to that three seed and avoid Philadelphia. And the first round problem is they'll end up playing Detroit matches up pretty well against them. But I, I like, I like the Pistons and the Nets and then either, either Orlando or Charlotte in that eight, in that eight spot. Again, it'll be just, can Kim Walker will his team to a playoff seed and then get crushed by Milwaukee or Toronto? Uh, you know, it's kind of like thinking that you had the winning lottery ticket and finding out that you didn't. So <laughs> I'm not, not quite sure how much of a reward that is. Or, you know, Orlando, who's got a, got a slightly easier road. But, you know, back to DJ Augustine, I, I love the guy. I'm just not quite sure I trust any team who has DJ Augustine as their starting point. <laughs> you just took, you just sure, like sure. ripped, you just like ripped, good hill to die on. <laughs> you just ripped the carpet from underneath DJ Augustine. No, I, I love DJ Augustine. He, he played for the Pistons. He's a good player, but I mean, I, I, I was kind of looking at their roster today and I'm like, my goodness, I mean, does DJ Augustine really start for these guys? And he, he's averaging 24 minutes a game. I'm like, you know, who's their backup? And I look at their backup, and I'm like, something's not right here. And then I'm like, okay, well, they've got Evan Fournier, who's, you know, he's he's pretty decent, but he doesn't play defense. Point card. Yeah, he's not a point card. So I'm just like, ah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what this, what this team can do. And then once again, it's the same deal. It's like, okay, they – they sneak into the playoffs, and you're just going to get throttled by by Milwaukee or Toronto. So, right. congratulations! Here's your win, and you've taken yourself out of the lottery. Uh, well, I, I don't know if there's any team that probably should be tanking right now. It could be Orlando because they can find a way to get a really good point guard or a really good shooting guard. <laughs> they could be pretty good next year. Yeah, I really do like the way Orlando has been building up the last couple of years. Definitely. Um, so we've kind of sorted out the Eastern Conference, which, like I mentioned, is more confusing to predict than the West, which is kind of cookie-cutter. Utah, Sacramento, if you're a Kings fan, you really, even though the, you're probably going to miss the playoffs, you as a fan, you should be pleased with the progress that you've that they've made. De'Aaron Fox has taken a gigantic step forward, and Buddy Heald, who I think should be in the most improved player category. I think he should be a candidate. I know Noah's boy, Pascal, probably is definitely in the conversation as well, but um, even if they even if they miss the playoffs, I do think it was a successful season for them. Uh, we're probably going to exclude the, exclude the Lakers and Minnesota because they're kind of too far back, but um, do you guys see Utah, San Antonio, and LA kind of finishing where they're at at six, seven, and eight. Did you kind of see some reshuffling? Eastern Conference is uh is, is basically set with those with those three teams, and 
there's too much ground for the Lakers to, to make up, obviously. Um, Sacramento's had a really good year. Um, like you said, their fans should be really happy with the direction of the organization. I just think Utah and, you know, Utah, the Clippers, they're just not going to – they're not going to relinquish that. And San Antonio, obviously, is a is a model franchise. They're making the playoffs. I think the Western Conference situation is pretty set. Like, what needs to be determined now is seeding. Right. Do you see – if when you look at Utah and you look at San Antonio and the Clippers, you know, we obviously know Golden State is going to win their first-round game. But do you see either Utah – I mean, actually, just Utah kind of possibly posing a threat to the three seed, which could be maybe Denver or Portland? Or no? uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Utah's got the capability of beating beating anybody except for the, the upper echelons over there like Golden State. I mean, they've got a, a guy to go get you a basket anytime he needs. They can lock down and play good defense. Uh, they proved in the playoffs last year by beating OKC that they're a team to be reckoned with. You've got the Clippers, who I, I couldn't be more impressed with what they've done. I mean, you, you, Jim Blake Griffin, a guy who you say is a Clipper for life and sign him to a huge deal six months later, you trade him. Um, you pick up Tobias Harris, who you trade to Philadelphia. You get rid of DeAndre Jordan. You stack a bunch of draft picks. You're in L.A., and all of a sudden you're still playing for, for the playoffs. It's just, just an amazing job what they've done. So – yeah, I think the Western Conference, again, besides Golden State, um, it's really anybody's ball game over there. Okay. Um, that really was kind of the gist. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you were able to do a good job hitting on your points about the West. Um, I do think Golden State, right now, obviously – they are the hunted. Everybody's trying to pull for them, try try to gun for them. But I do think there is some uncertainty maybe after Golden State. You know, I'm not kind of. I know Denver is going to probably finish second or third in the in the in the West this year, and they had a really good regular season. But I don't know if I'm sold on them for the playoffs as I am maybe say Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, I do think. A lot of it is just because a lot of those guys that Denver has right now, it, once they come, once playoff time sit, it'll be their first rodeo. Oh yeah, Jokic is great player, but it's going to be his first time in the playoffs. Um, yep. Paul Millsap is really the only guy that they can rely on in the playoffs who has veteran experience. Uh, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Jamal Murray; those guys are very good players. Um, but it's, again, just like Jokic, it's going to be their first time in the playoffs. So I'm kind of curious to see what they do come playoff time because they're pro. I mean, they're going to be a top seed, and I do think they're really good offensively. But it's going to be kind of a matter of can they lock down on defense? I mean, I know Jokic is a good defender, but um, that's going to be their big. Um, Achilles heel, kind of getting over their defense and kind of getting over their youth. But um, just in terms of what we've covered, you know, we went through obviously Boston. We went through their struggles and kind of how they could possibly dig out of the rut they've been in this entire season. 
touched on Milwaukee, touched on Toronto, how they, the Eastern Conference really throughout the entire season. We talked a little bit about the Lakers and LeBron and the battle for the final spots in the East or the West. Um, Jerome, is there anything that you kind of want to end this podcast on? Any final thoughts you've been holding back? say that uh you know the nba playoffs are some of the most exciting it's the most, one of the most exciting times for me sports wise i think obviously these guys are the best players in the world um and, and they definitely turn it up a notch in, in in the playoffs and it's just really really fun to watch but i want to give a shout out to uh amir his name is henston uh, the guy who's just declared he said he's going to declare for the nba draft division two player out of shaw university uh averaging 29 points a game or something crazy like that. Six five guard who apparently scouts have been saying that he's actually got a real shot to be drafted. So um, shout out to him because I like to see those small college guys actually, actually go be successful when they become pros. You know, the top of your head wins the last D two player to get drafted. In the NBA? Uh, I mean, the last one I can think of, Wow, I don't know, because Ben Wallace played at Virginia Union, but he was actually signed as a free agent. I don't know. <laughs> I know wow, it's really that's, tough. That's but a good point. That's a good yeah. thing. That's a good trivia question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to look it up. But, yeah, apparently this guy is a real deal. I haven't seen him because he's, he's Division Two, but in 6'5", super score, probably grades out as being a halfway decent defender if he's super athletic. So, um, you know, hopefully he ends up, ends up getting drafted and doing well for himself. Okay. Well, if that is your final thoughts, then I think we can kind of wrap this um, edition up. I really, I've said all I've needed to say. I think we did a good job kind of touching on the topics. Um, But I guess if that's the case, we'll probably end it here. Um, Again, I know Noah's not here right now, but... I had to leave. I thought you did a good job. Um, but, oh, thank you, man. I've had a lot of fun. This has been awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. It, you know, I, I was meaning to get you on since we've had a couple other people go on uh, before you, and I was like, you know what? Jerome deserves a shot to talk about the NBA and give his perspective on the sport. Listen, I'm, I'm all for it. As long as we're not talking about, like, cricket, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? I I'm trying to ha- I'll try to bring a cricket analyst on. Um, awesome! I'll listen to it. But probably learn something. I'll be smarter after listening to whoever you bring on as a cricket expert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about cricket either. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, if that's the case, um, you know, thank you again for coming on, Jerome. No, no, no. I, I can't wait to come back, man. All right, well, if that's the case, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep in touch. But, uh, you know, have a good night. All right, everyone. So that's all for episode five today. Make sure to keep tabs on all your information regarding the sports mecca and the bounce pass as we kick off episode six in the future. Have a good day, everyone.